Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there ran a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Just so it was, you know, just so it was. So so like Ruth, it so happened that she happened to end up in the field of Boaz. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. They were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. See this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made it abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So tonight the message is proclaiming the good tidings. Proclaiming good tidings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you again for the, the incarnation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came to earth to, to die uh, to save us from our sins. Uh, Father, we pray that you encourage our hearts tonight, help us to rejoice in his coming, but help us also rejoice in his coming again. We look forward to that day in anticipation. For he that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So, Lord, just help us encourage our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice, I want to notice several things in this passage of Scripture tonight concerning this uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, this was this is all done under the in the providence of God. In verses one and two, it says, "And it came to pass in those days that ran a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria." And so. I want to notice, first of all, the, the timing of this, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Um, and here we have, it was in those days, and a decree of a heathen king that brought Mary and Joseph to the place where Christ was prophesied to be born. So, again, the timing, you know, the and there's two things here we'll mention about the providence of God. The timing of this and the place of this, 
we see, uh, Micah 5, 2 prophesied that thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, even from everlasting. So, uh, it's, 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 you know, understanding that, you know, this, this ruler is from everlasting, so it's speaking of Christ, the God-man, the Lord, who would be coming. And it was Roman law that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Now, I don't imagine that at this time in Mary's stage of pregnancy, that Joseph would have planned a trip to Bethlehem. Understand, they didn't have cars or SUVs. Nice, comfortable riding vehicles like we have. Uh, either she walked or she rode on a donkey, most likely. Uh, nevertheless, either way, walking or riding would not be a comfortable way expecting at the stage of nine months. It would not have been a comfortable journey, nor a journey that you would think somebody would plan to make, but they didn't plan it. It was planned for them. It was required. As citizens or as, as subjects of, Roman, uh, of a Roman state, um, you know, it was required by law that they had to go to their place of, or, uh, of origin to pay, of all things, their taxes. You know, and again, what we see here is, you know, they were, of course, living in Nazareth at the time, and what we see here is God, through this heathen king, brings them to the place where it would be prophesied that he would be born. Uh, it's all by God's sovereign hand. It was fulfilling the scriptures, it, it, and even, and again, using heathen men to fulfill his word. There's an interesting passage over in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. Where the Bible says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose, notice this, the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. This isn't the first time that in the scriptures you find a heathen king or an unsaved man doing something that fulfills the Word of God. Uh, Isaiah speaks of Cyrus, my servant. And Cyrus would be the one who would make the decree that would allow the children of Israel to go back to the land of Canaan and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the walls, and the temple, and, and reinstate temple worship. It was Cyrus who gave the commandment that they were to be given all the vessels of the house of the Lord. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed, and his army destroyed Jerusalem, they carried away all the gold, all the silver vessels, the cups, the dishes, 
the utensils that had to do with the temple worship. They carried all that off to Babylon. That stuff was worth, we would say it was worth a lot of money. You would think that a king would not give it back. Especially a heathen king. We have no indication in Scripture that Cyrus was a saved man, other than he gave the decree for them to go back. But he did. You know, sometimes God puts us in places, and sometimes, we heard in Sunday school, sometimes in difficult places for opportunities and to fulfill His own will in our lives. And this is one of those things. This, was, this would not have been a pleasant situation, for, particularly for Mary. And yet it was required by Caesar Augustus. So we see here the providence of God. Secondly, we see the proclamation of good tidings given by the angel in verses 8 through 10. Uh, first of all, we see the by the angel of the Lord, verses 8 through 10 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Of course, the good good tidings is is a good way of saying good news. And of course, we know that the, gospel, the word gospel means good news. Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. Uh, and of course, that simply means good news. Uh, this was the, the news or the good news or the good tidings that man has been waiting for for thousands of years. Titus 3.4 reminds us, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. See, God's kindness or God's love appeared in the form of a person. This is the greatest act of benevolence the world has ever seen or will see. You know, we often hear of, you often hear of great acts of kindness and benevolence that people will do for other people or for causes. But there's no, been, been no act of benevolence greater than this on the part of God. Romans 4, 2, 4 says, Or despise all the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Ephesians 2, 7 says, Then the ages to come he might show. Again, that's written around you know, 50, 60, 80 D, and it says, In the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. You know, this good news has been to every succeeding generation since it was first told. And of course, it was given by an angel of the Lord. But it was also given or relayed by the shepherds. Notice verses 17 and 18. It says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered those things which were told them by the shepherds. So they made known abroad this good news. And, 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 you know, they, this had been told them, and they told everyone else they came in contact with. You know, when you have a good, good news, don't you like to share it? Don't you like to tell everybody? I mean, if you were the first to find out that tomorrow the election was overturned, would you keep it a secret? Would you please let me know? 
uh, you know, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you be wanting to tell it? Some good news. Some good news. Well, this is the greatest news that the world has ever been given, and these shepherds made known abroad, the Bible says, this good news. And of course, example after example in Scripture is given. In Romans 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. In other words, to preach the good news to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. He wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, unto, said to them, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, or the good news, which I preached unto you, which also have, ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the disciples went everywhere preaching the, good, the gospel, the good news. And we need to make this known, the, God, the goodness, the good news of the gospel. And the good news is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so, there's this proclamation. We see the providence of God. You know, and God has put us here in this time to declare this good news to the lost and dying world. But I want you to see a third thing we see here. What's the purpose of the providence of God? What's the purpose of the good news? The purpose of God is, found in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which was Christ, is Christ the Lord. So why would God, the Almighty God, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, come to earth as a babe? In a manger, no less. Why would He become a man and dwell among us sinners? Uh, Matthew one twenty three says that he, he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why would God do that? Well, let me give you several reasons. First of all, to destroy the works of the devil. Christ Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, Christ came into the world... You know, and this is, all, this is all inclusive in saving us from sin, but he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Let's break it down here to some specific things. You know, the devil is a liar. He's a murderer. He's a slander. We know that from the scriptures. And, and that's what he did to Eve. And he did that to separate us from God. You know, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. In other words, you'll be separated from God. And of course, Satan slandered or misquoted, slandered God and said, you know, ye shall not surely die. And, you know, hath God said, question God, and convinced Eve uh, that it was okay to eat of that tree. And of course, she gave to Adam and he ate willfully. And, and because of this, there is death and separation. We're all under the sentence of death. Romans 5.12 clearly tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death path upon all men, for that all have sin. And so, that has separated us from God. 
That is the work of the devil, is to separate man from God. That's his goal. That's his plan. To separate men and women from God. To keep them separate from God. And so, Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy there in 1 John 3, 8 means to loose, to unbind. To unbind. You know, we're reminded in the Scriptures of those that were bound. And Luke 13, 11 says, Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. Verse 16 says, Ought not this woman, Jesus spoke in speaking this, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound? Lo, these 18 years. Do you realize that physical infirmities are a result of the curse of sin and the work of the devil? You know, people blame God all the time for stuff that God hasn't done. God didn't bring the curse of sin on the earth. And he said, shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? In Revelation 5, there's a scene in heaven that John sees as he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he's caught up. And it says this, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? Now, it's believed that that book was like the title deed to the earth. And they're looking for somebody worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof. Now understand that, you know, the, uh, why this is important. Uh, you know, Satan, uh, when, when God made man, he gave him dominion over the earth. In other words, he gave him power basically over the earth. What you see. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, okay, you buy a piece of property and a person gives you the deed to the property. In other words, it's your rights and you're supposed to be able to do with it what you want. Uh, but it's your property. It's under your dominion. Your control. But you take that and give it to someone else by becoming a servant to someone else. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, they became a servant to the devil and basically transferred this dominion of the world over to the devil. That's why the Bible says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Satan is considered the God of this world. And so basically what they did was give the dominion or of the earth over to the devil. And this is, God is ready to reclaim this back to himself. But, and so somebody needs to be worthy to open this seal. And of course the line of the tribe of Judah would be, would be, would be able to open this seal and loose the seals thereof. To deliver, and, and the idea here is to deliver the earth from the curse of sin once and for all. See, only Jesus Christ has the power to deliver us and this earth from the curse of sin. 
And when he comes on that white horse, he's going to destroy Satan's dominion once and for all and deliver the earth from the curse of sin once and for all. From the bondage of sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. <clears throat> the Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that is, he took flesh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Lord Jesus Christ took upon Himself flesh that He might die as a man and as God. He might die to deliver us who were through fear of death all of our lives subject to bondage. He is. And that's why it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. The word Savior means deliverer, preserver, helper, healer. All those things. You know, He is able to deliver us from the penalty of sin. Matthew 1.23 says, And she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And then here again in this passage, he is able to deliver them who through fear of death all their lifetime were subject to bondage. Hebrews 2.15 He is the one who preserves us or keeps us. We don't keep ourselves saved. If it was dependent upon you, every time you sin, you'd lose your salvation. No, He keeps us safe. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He's going to reveal that inheritance to us that He has reserved for us in the last time when we go to be with Him or when He comes for us. It's going to be revealed. But this inheritance, we are kept by His power. We have this inheritance that's incorruptible. It cannot be tainted or corrupted. It's undefiled. It's pure. And it does not fade away because it's of God. And God changes not. It doesn't fade. It's reserved for us. I like what Jude says in the first verse. Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, I like that word preserved. You know, of course I like applesauce. And my wife preserves it. We call it canning. And you put it in a jar and that thing seals and you can put it down in the, and you can put it in the cupboard and it, it'll stay good for a year. Maybe two years. Why? It's preserved. 
doesn't spoil. Now this is an eternal this is an eternal preservation. It's preserved. Our salvation is preserved in Jesus Christ. It's preserved. Isaiah 49 tells us we are graven on his hands. John tells us in John 10 that, that we are in His hands and no man is able to pluck us out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So He's our preserver. He's the one that keeps us. He's our Savior. He's our helper. Hebrews 2.18 goes on in that passage, For in that He Himself has suffered, being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. That word succor means to help, to aid. He, you know, as the Psalm 103 says, he, he knoweth that, he pitieth us, that, us, them that fear him. He knoweth we are framed. He knoweth that we are but dust. See, he understands our temptations, and he is, and because he understands, because he was tempted, because he lived as a man amongst sinners in the world, and understands the temptations that they have, he understands and he's able to help, to aid. You see, he's just like any other person. You know, he did it at a grave. He wept. Why? Because he understood the pain, the suffering. His friend Lazarus was dead. And he saw the pain. Not only did he see it, but he experienced it himself. That was his friend. And those left behind were his friends. So he is our helper. Not only that, but he is our healer. Isaiah, and I'm not talking about faith healing here. Don't get, yeah. But Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In Luke 4, he quotes this in this passage and he says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You know, He, he healed the sick, the lame and the blind, but not only did that, He healed their broken hearts. You know, the Pharisees weren't going out and helping and ministering to these people that were broken and in sin. But Jesus did. He went to the publicans and sinners. In fact, he, Pharisees said he keeps company with publicans and sinners. And you remember when the woman came and, and wept on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the Pharisees said, if he were Christ, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And really what they're saying, he wouldn't allow such a thing to be done to him. He simply said, Thy sins, which were many, are many, are forgiven me. 
See, he healed the brokenhearted. Not just the lame and the blind, but the brokenhearted. And set them free from the bondage of sin. No wonder the angel said, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, not just the rich and the affluent, but to the poor and the brokenhearted. And that news is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. And so Paul could say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Sting of death is sin and strength, the sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can have victory over sin and over the works of the devil, over the power of the devil through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came also to redeem us from the bondage of sin. Matthew one twenty one says, that he might save his people from their sins. Of course, God, through the sacrifice of his Son, has provided the opportunity for every human being to be saved or delivered from the bondage of their sin. Not only are we saved from the bondage of sin, but saved from the power of sin. Romans 6 11 says that sin shall have no more dominion over you. Praise the Lord, one of these days we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. When we receive that inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, that's reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. Because that inheritance is undefiled. It's not corruptible. You know, Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, or was it chapter 2, and said, Who shall change our vile body and make it like unto his glorious body? See, one day we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin when we go to be with the Lord. This is what we have in our Savior. He came. This is the purpose He came. To redeem us. To deliver us. To destroy the works of the devil and deliver us from the bondage of sin. And to give us the privilege to declare that good news. Even as the as the uh, shepherds did in verses 17 and 18, it says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered those things which were, were told them by the shepherds. In verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know, we have been provided with an opportunity uh, of hearing and seeing the truth God working in our hearts and lives. And so we've been provided this opportunity, this privilege, to testify and to share this good news with others whom we meet. You know, it says here that they had what they had seen. In other words, I think that means they understood. 
Think of that, what they understood, not just what they saw with their eyes, but what they understood and what they heard. You know, hearing is more than just, I hear it here. Jesus had he said often, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, don't you need to not just hear it, you need to embrace it. Embrace it. You know, many of you probably like me have family members who have heard some of the things things you have heard, but haven't come to the same conclusions that you have. Not because they didn't hear it with this ear. Because they didn't hear it with the heart. They haven't embraced it. See, these shepherds, they had they, they embraced it as it was told to them. And so they 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 told others. They made known abroad the saying. You know, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to make known this good news abroad. to those that are in our world where we live. The people you meet, people you may work with. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege. That's our commandment that God has given us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell the things which we have had the privilege, the opportunity to see and hear. The good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That little baby that was born in a manger for 2,000 years ago is the Savior, Christ the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the one who can give life and life eternal. He can break the power and bondage of sin. He can heal the broken hearts and set the captives free. This is the message we have and the message that we need to give to a lost and dying world.